Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come from around the world to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining me from Carlsbad, California, is Larry Kesslin. And Larry is the author of a new book called Success Redefined. Uh, good day to you, Larry. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Greg. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share this message with all of your listeners. Well, I appreciate having you on and you taking a few minutes to impart some wisdom and speak with my listeners about your new book called Success Redefined. But I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you, Larry. Larry grew up in a middle-class family, suburban family, in which success was defined in material terms. His father walked the tightrope between professional success and financial failure using Think and Grow Rich as his Bible. As a child and teenager, Larry absorbed the lessons that his family's emotional and well-being depended on its volatile financial fortunes. Um, he hustled and he graduated from Rutgers. He took a job in corporate America, started running the fast track to success. But despite professional success, he felt something was missing. At the age of 29, he was a walking robot, empty inside. So Larry went looking, and for what? The meaning of life. Um, no, Larry was seeking what Joseph Campbell described as the experience of being alive so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. We're going to be speaking with Larry about success redefined here this morning and talk with him a little bit about how he has become alive in the process now, you know, you mentioned that in the foreword of your book, you took this trip to Africa in 2012, and yep. it helped you to connect the dots. And then another trip to Nigeria in 2014 that helped you to crystallize your purpose in life. What basically happened to you on those trips that helped you crystallize your purpose and become the person that you are today? Well, I... It's a lot of pieces. I wouldn't. I would say those were the cornerstones of the foundation of what I've learned. So in Africa, when we went to Uganda, we were bringing computers to rural villages in eastern and northern Uganda with a nonprofit here in San Diego, and it was an amazing trip. I really went to teach our kids some life lessons, and at the end of the day, I probably walked away with the biggest change in my life. My kids realized that life was not fair, but that lasted all of about two months since they were 10 and 12 years old. Um, but for me, I saw people that were insanely happy. I mean, joyous, that were living in squalor, living in impoverished situations. They weren't poor. They just didn't have the same material things that we did. And when I got back to the States, uh, it was clear to me that my journey towards finding success was, in my mind at that point in 2012, my journey was over for success, and I really needed to be significant. Um, I can tell you that three years later after that trip, that success without significance for me right now is not success at all. So I've kind of incorporated that significance piece of, of success or into my definition for success. Uh -huh. So in Africa, I realized that people were insanely happy, even though they didn't have nearly the amount of wealth that we have here. And I was trying to figure out why. And about 18 months ago, I was asked to do a TEDx talk here at SDSU. 
and focused on that issue of why were they happy and why are we not. And I came to a conclusion that they were happy because they were connected more deeply around things that are purposeful. And at the end of the day, I boiled it down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy is this thing called survival, food, water, shelter, and safety. And I believe that Maslow knew in his creation of that hierarchy of needs that survival is not only our greatest human instinct as an animal on this planet, but it's also our greatest human purpose. Uh Now, if you let that sink in for a minute, if survival is our purpose, then the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy actually is purpose, master's survival. And people in Uganda and Kenya and the other places we visited, and then the following two years later in Nicaragua, I, I met people that were deeply connected, yet they had so much less than we do. And I realized that it was because they had what they needed, and what they needed was a shared common purpose. And I experienced the same thing living in New York in 2001 after the buildings came down in, in Manhattan. And people were so kind because I think we were back in survival mode. But yet as a culture, we're beyond survival. And I think at this point in our lives, we need to connect at a purpose level. And the only purpose really left on Maslow's hierarchy is our own self-actualization. So well, I think we need to find our purpose. Go ahead. You know, you speak about that, that 9-11 experience, and you were in New, in New York at that time. And you you talk about the focus on not buying into fear. That's one of the things you talk about in your book. And you had a magnet on your refrigerator that stated, what would you do if you were not afraid? Um, yeah. How do you help people who may be out there listening today um, remove the fear from their lives, the fear of financial loss, the fear of loss of a partner, of a loved one, of getting sick, of all of these things that are human nature? Um, what, what would you tell them? Uh, first thing I would tell them is to breathe. Um, I believe that the breath is a powerful thing. And I, I have a belief system that says that we make up this whole journey anyway. Uh, that little gremlin in our head talks to us voraciously every day. And our opportunity is to quiet that voice in our head and to know that that voice in our head is just that, to just observe that voice in the head to notice it versus acting on it. And there's a line I use in the book that fear is not a stop sign. And I don't say that fear is a bad thing. It's a very, very healthy thing. But to have it stop us in our tracks every day of our lives, to me, makes no sense. Uh And yes, there are risks, both physically and financially. But at the end of the day, I don't think the fear produces any results. It's the same as stress. I think as a culture, we're taught that to be fearful and to be stressful will make us better. But I think it's exactly the opposite. I think but things get in our way. I agree with you. And yet we live in a society which is in such a fast pace that I think people are in it comes to this wants versus needs. And we'll get to that in a second. But you have three key lessons that you talk about. Our need to connect others in order for doers to really connect, having a purpose is a, is a door to unlock these connections and that you say that joy comes from sharing our purpose with others. How would you advise these listeners who are out listening to this podcast right now to find this purpose and meaning in their lives? What are, what are ways they can do that? We know community is one, connecting with charity, those kind of things, finding ways to give of yourself other than that. What other things would you give them some ideas on? 
I think at the end of the day, one of the things I've learned, especially in the last year, my wife and I went for six months with our two teenage kids and we traveled around the globe. Uh, the first half of this year, we took them out of school. And part of what I learned is that there are a lot of people that are uh, as well to do as we are, but much more connected in their cultures than we are. And I think that the objective of going to find purpose is not for the sake of purpose. So I'm not sure it matters what your purpose is. Um, I think the closer your purpose is to who you are, what I call your true reason for being, and the more you connect with others at that purpose level, the more joy you'll find. But step one is just to go out and be conscious of being part of something that's not about your own financial or your own personal return. Is it just to be of service? Go do some volunteer work. It doesn't have to be about giving money. Actually, I think money is the last thing that the society needs. I think it needs our brain power. I think it needs our kindness. I think it needs our generosity of giving of self versus our financial wherewithal. I mean, the money is good and valuable, and it allows things to happen. But at the end of the day, we're transformed when we give of ourselves. The greatest transformations in my life is when I have been of service in a major way. And when I make it not about me. And that's the interesting part is I grew up in a family that was very much focused on independence and taking care of ourselves, which is, which has served me well. But in some ways I'm caught in this paradox right now as I'm teaching. And I believe we teach that which we need to learn. And for me, this journey is to learn to stop worrying about me and take care of everybody else around me, and I will get taken care of in spades. Uh And that's something that we're talked to, but I don't believe a lot of people live that. Most definitely, and it it is, you know, look, it's a whole, not only mindset change, but whole spiritual change to go in that direction. And for one to embrace that level of consciousness requires work, and you know that because you're working on yourself every day. You state that joy to you is something different. It's this deep internal sense of contentment. What's the secret in your mind to getting this highest level of satisfaction and contentment uh, personally? Well, I, I can't say I'm the most joyous person on this planet, but I have a sense of understanding of who I am, why I am, and what I am. And that brings an, an immense amount of joy to me. And I think it's, well, you said it before, it's about searching for what it is that we're here to do. Each of us has a unique gift. And one of the things that I've done to find that joy is to figure out who I am first. And when I can figure out who I am, what is it that I'm good at? I've done huh, at least probably 100 assessments on myself from Strength Finders and DISC and Myers-Briggs and you name it. I've tried every different way. I've done 360s. I've had people review me. What is it that I'm really here to do? And once we figure out what we're here to do, then we get to in touch with our true purpose, which you asked about earlier, my trip last year to Nicaragua, spending time with a dozen really successful entrepreneurs, and they were talking about changing their country. And I want to be really clear. I do not believe that being of service means giving money to nonprofits or being uh, – I think there's other ways to be of service to the world. And I believe that the trip to Nicaragua showed me that my greatest gift is to help successful people be more socially minded, where Uh for the first seven or eight years of my journey in this, what I would call the purpose phase of my life, I was trying to help socially minded people be successful. And that was very painful for me. That meant being on boards of nonprofits. That meant 
spending a lot of time with early stage social entrepreneurs. And I'm realizing that if I live by my definition of success now, which part of it says that I want to leave this planet infinitely better than I found it, then helping successful people, people that have the wherewithal, the skills, the knowledge, the wisdom, and the financial resources, if I can help them figure out how to be more purposeful, to figure out how to use those business skills, that business acumen, that leadership, that ideation, that strategy, the execution, the promotion skills, if I can help them use those skills and their financial return to create a better world, then we're all better off. And that's well, my purpose today. And, and you certainly are doing that. You definitely are an example of that. And I tell my listeners uh, that I know Larry personally, and he is definitely a man on a mission. And uh, we'll give you the website to go to, an opportunity, a place to watch his TEDx video as well uh, when we conclude this podcast. But, you know, you tell an interesting story about your father's career and ultimately going bankrupt through life circumstances. How did your father's story help to form who you are into a person you are today with your purpose and passion for giving back? Um, I would say that the biggest influence my dad's story has had on me was his fear of going broke. And on this trip that I just took around the world, I read Lynn Twist's book called The Soul of Money. Mm-hmm. Great book. And I realized, I realized that my story is not my dad's story, that it shaped me to a certain point. And I believe in every person's life for the first 20-plus years-ish, that the world is there to take care of us. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody, but I believe that there comes a point in our lives when we have to decide who is it that we want to be and not be the person that we were told we should be. And I would say for the first 51-plus years of my life, I lived that story of don't go broke. And even though I don't have a lot of fear and I've taken a ton of risk, I still had that story in the back of my head of don't go broke. And it was this trip around the world that kind of brought me to that place of that's my dad's story. That's not my story. And I have enough business acumen and I have enough skills. And I don't plan on retiring, Greg. This whole idea of retirement to me is amazing. As, as soon as we get really fully formed, we decide to take a hiatus from the world and go mm-hmm. play golf and tennis and bridge and, and cadaster and go spend time with our, our peers versus being the forces of the community that we need to be. And I don't believe I will ever retire. Uh, I believe I get more valuable with age, and I I love writing. I love speaking. And for me, this is the beginning of my journey at 52. I I don't see myself retiring, so I don't see this need to put away all this money so that I can do something someday. I'd rather do it now. Taking six months with my family to go travel is not something the average American family does. I believe the next generation is set up to do that. Well, and your kids, more importantly, the, the message you're leaving for your kids and the example is what's important because for the next generation to actually to have done that, that's, that is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift you gave, gave to them. Now, you have a whole section in the book about defining needs and wants as well as our disappointing expectations. In other words, people living with expectations, kind of the Buddhist mindset. How do you help people look at their needs and wants with a new mindset? Well, the whole the book started five years ago with the title, When Wants Become Needs. And the subtitle was for very important busy people. A friend of mine used to call herself a very important busy person. 
And I used to tell my kids, so the story in the book where this all came from, um, I was with my son and a friend back in 2009. And I asked my son, I said, Noah, what do you need? And he was eight years old at the time. He says, Daddy, I need food, water, and shelter. And I was like, holy crap, what did... I mean, I've been talking to them about Maslow's hierarchy of needs since they're little kids. I said, Noah, what's the rest? He says, everything else is a want, Daddy. And I said, oh, my God, my child actually has a chance for happiness in life because he knows the difference between a want and a need. And in the work that I do, I ask people, step one is to give me their definitions of words in their life. And one of the words I want to define is happiness because I believe that happiness is getting your needs met. So there's two different ways to do that. One is to have very few needs, and the other is to make lots of money so you can get all the things that you think you need. The problem is there's one huge need that I don't even know how many people believe we need, and that is the need to feel like we're part of something greater than ourselves. Uh So I believe there's some fundamental needs. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need air. We need love. We need health. We need a bunch of basic things. So in the book I describe seven fundamental needs. But the need that people don't even know that we need is this need for purpose and meaning in our lives. So I call that the hidden need. So I try and explain to people that what we really need is what my friends in Uganda had. They had this idea that they were part of something greater than themselves. They had food, water, shelter, safety, love, air, and health. They had those things. Uh So they were happy. And they had a horizon that they couldn't see Ferraris and they couldn't see beautiful homes. They just saw shanties and everybody living the same way they did. So their relative deprivation is the term I use is minimal. So before I left, there was a friend of mine. He said, Larry, if you really want to see poverty, just go to downtown San Diego. And I said, it's different. And he said, no, it's not. And I can tell you it is when you go to places where they have very little and they're indigenous cultures and they just know what they see, then they have a sense of perspective that is much different than ours, much different. And I try to explain to people that if you can understand what you truly need and boil your life down to what you truly need versus what you believe you need, I think you'll be much happier. Now, one of the things that you talk about in the book uh, quite a bit is you mentioned that purpose and connectedness together you say they formed the molecule of joy is what you, how you put it. I love the vernacular that you use there. Speak with our listeners really about connecting and making deep, meaningful relationships to have this kind of joy in their life. So I'm getting tingles right now just listening to you say that because when I left on my journey around the world, I believed that purpose was everything. I thought that we needed to find our own purpose, and then we would find joy. And when I went traveling, I went to places where people were not that purposeful, yet they were deeply joyful, and I asked a lot of questions. And I believe that human connection is what brings the joy. There was a a TED talk about uh, what you don't know about drug addiction. They said in Portugal they legalized all drugs. Because they found out that what people use drugs for was to replace the human connection that was voided in their lives. So the government of Portugal took all the money that they were using to do the war against drugs, and they used it to take all the drug addicts and have them be part of the community. 
and drug usage and addiction in, in Portugal is down 50%. And the reason that happens is that we crave human connection. Yet as a culture, we're building bigger fences between our homes. We are living on larger plots of land. We don't ask our neighbors for a cup of sugar. We go buy a pound of it. It's just an insane mindset that we live in today that makes us even more isolated. And what I found on my journey is that's exactly the opposite thing that we need. And if you go look at some of the research that's being done about happiness and what brings happiness, as Americans, as Western cultures, uh, civilizations, are starting to do more and more about wanting choice and wanting all these things, happiness studies are saying that we want exactly the opposite is that when we, we find things that we truly love and we stop worrying about choice, we are happier. So I think there's something to this human connection based around purpose for those of us that are doers, people that need to get stuff done, which is how we raise our culture. To have people connect around a purpose, to me, is deeper than connecting around what we connect around today for most of the people I meet, which is we connect around our favorite sports team or our favorite music or our favorite hobbies, those are all in our head. Those are all intellectual stimulations. What I think we need is to connect in our soul. That's what I saw in Uganda. That's what I saw in Nicaragua. That's what I saw on the island of Santorini in Greece. People connected at their core, who they were, connected to other people versus the materialistic things that I feel we connect to in our society today. So now one of the the benefits of connection is actually health and healing. And you speak about it in the book. And one of my dear friends is Dr. Stephen Post, an unlimited love foundation at Stony Brook university, tons of studies on the benefits of, you know, giving and living longer and having a, a happier life, right? People that give of themselves, just believe me, folks, they have a happier more healthy, more fulfilled life. What benefits do you believe you're receiving from this focus, as you say, um, on purpose? And what do you believe the benefits are for people, my listeners that you're speaking with today, about shifting their focus about giving? I, I, first of all, I feel blessed that I've been able to learn a lesson. It's funny, when I was asked to do my TEDx talk, I came to this clarity about it's about connection and wants versus needs and all this other pieces of it. And somebody said, Larry, do you feel like you've, you know everything now? And I'm like, I don't know anything. And the more I learn, the more I realize I know nothing. But there is this one lesson that I, I believe I was put on this planet to teach because it's the lesson that I've learned myself that is just profound. And the lesson is that we need to connect with others and the only way to connect with others is to give of yourself. Now, for me as a doer, and Greg, I think you as well, the more we connect around things that are purposeful, I think the deeper the connection. There are others like my wife who is not a doer. My wife is a beer. She just exists in the world. She's a walking human heart. She's one of the nicest people. Greg, you and I were with her at, the, at Terry last week, and she sees disadvantaged kids and people that are struggling, and she does beam. I mean, her heart just goes out to them. I don't believe she needs as much purpose as I do. And I think that giving of oneself is something that comes naturally to some people and is work for others. I think it comes naturally to my wife, and I think it's work for me. So I think if you're programmed to be a doer, someone who needs to accomplish things, 
the more you spend time with others that have a similar purpose, I think the more connection you'll feel. And it starts with what you said. It starts with giving of oneself. You can't do it while trying to take from this world. It just doesn't work. And the most fulfilling part for me is our two kids, is watching them learn the lessons that I've learned in my 40s and 50s in their teenage years is just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. Well, you certainly are someone who is going to make a difference and shift the world. And I'm, I'm hoping the way you're going to do that is by shifting people's perspective about how they see wants and needs, about how they define their purpose, about how they get involved and engaged in life to not only help others, but knowing that when they're helping others, they're helping themselves. And this whole social venture partnership thing, I think, is something we need to do. I appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your insights with my listeners uh, today. Um, for my listeners, uh, we have been on with Larry Kesson. The book is called Success Redefined. And Larry, where do if they're going to go find this book or get the book, uh, tell us where they go and how they get to you and some of the places that they can connect with you. Sure. Well, the website for the, the company is called uh, just successredefined.com. I think my personal blog, which is LarryKesslin.com, the book will be published in mid-November. The target published date is November 11th, and they'll be able to get that book on Amazon or on the website. Uh, but I'm looking forward to connecting with anybody. For me, the book, my TEDx talk, all the things that I've done over the last 20 years, to me, are breadcrumbs to help those people that have shared purpose come find me versus me always seeking to find them. And that's all it is. This book is a way for me to express myself so that those that have shared common purpose will know that they're not alone. This can be a very lonely journey when you're trying to be purposeful and everybody else around you is not. And I've met a lot of people here in San Diego that feel that they're on this journey alone, yet I meet so many of them, and my objective through the Success Redefined business is to build small to medium-sized peer groups and to build a community of like-minded, like-hearted professionals that are self-aware, that know how to get things done, and want to use their business acumen to make the world a much better place. Well, you are certainly working on it, and you'll continue to work on it, as you said, because you're not somebody who's going to retire, that I know for a fact. So you'll be here for many, many years in the future, uh, helping individuals redefine not only their purpose, but how they actually um, work in the world and become in the world, their beingness in the world. I, I really thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth with us today and uh, talking with us about success redefined. My pleasure, Greg. I appreciate all of your energy and all the positive energy that you put into the world. It is greatly appreciated.